And so for us, we've, uh, we're in the middle of a three-week uh, or three-Sunday series on the idea of Jesus as a king. And uh, last week, we looked at uh, that the king is coming, uh, looking at uh, just the promise and the prophecies uh, of old, um, uh, where God's people were looking forward to a king. Uh, and it reminded us that we're still looking uh, forward for his return as well. Uh, today we're going to look at the idea that the king has come. And so, uh, so not just um, a promise that he will come, but that he has come. And we're going to look at that through the lens of really one main passage, and then we're going to reference back to a psalm. Uh, that the the hymn Joy to the World is based on, Psalm 98. Uh, But for us um, this morning, we're going to look initially at Ephesians chapter 1. Not exactly your normal Christmas passage, uh, but um, as we think of the idea of Jesus as our king, uh, it begins to make sense why we're going to look there. And so I welcome you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. But before we do that, would you stand just expressing submission to the word of God? He speaks and we long to hear from him. Paul writes this to these people at Ephesus. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the, king, in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he, God, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him the head over or gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all let's pray uh, god we we pray in thanks that you're with us we pray in thanks that you are at work uh, father not only in us but for us uh, god your power uh, is is here your power is at work in us. Your power is at work in your church. God, thank you for that. Thank you that Jesus truly is ruling and reigning even now. So, Father, help us to navigate. What does it look like for you to rule and reign, yet at times it feels as if you're not? So, God, give us clarity in that. I pray that we would leave encouraged. Father, for anybody in this room, Uh, Father, for anybody hearing my voice that has not yet claimed you as the king of their life, Father, I pray that you would draw them to know you, draw them to surrender to you. Father, that in that is our only hope in this life. And pray pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would please be seated. 
A few years ago, a guy named James Gilmore, he was writing a blog for a website, um, and, uh, and it's called The White Horse Inn. Uh, they have a podcast, a radio show, and it's basically a, um, uh, just a kind of a Christian commentary think tank kind of place. And a few years ago, James Gilmore wrote this uh, blog, and in, in that, he was uh, thinking of the idea of king. And uh, he actually uh, was recounting a recent episode of The Family Feud. So don't put that up just yet, uh, Jeannie. But in The Family Feud, the question from Steve Harvey was asked, uh, when someone mentions the king, to whom might he or she be referring? Okay? And, uh, And so the obvious number one answer is... Elvis, right, okay, and uh, so we can, this is what the, you know, top four answers on the board, is that up there, yeah, so number one answer was Elvis, uh, then, uh, then God or Jesus comes in at a second place, then Martin Luther King Jr. or Burger King uh, was a, a distant fourth, and I mean, quite honestly, if we were given the same question, we would answer probably the same way if we're just right off the top of our head. But it was interesting, uh, as the author recounts, that the contestant who actually uncovered the number two answer there uh, of Jesus, uh, he said uh, to to the host, I'm going to go with the king of kings, Jesus, and uh, to which Steve Harvey nodded approvingly. And uh, so this idea of king, we know Jesus comes and has come as the king of kings, yet do people no, it's so easy to think through king through all sorts of different lenses. Uh, you know, the king has come, do you know it? And even if you know it intellectually in your mind, do you know what it means for you as one of God's people that your king has come? Paul prays for the Ephesian church and he prays for them a prayer that could very easily be prayed for us. Prayed for us and the church in America. Look at, uh, look at this passage. And, and so he hears of their faith. He's thanking God for them. What is his prayer? Verse 16, he says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of our, all glory, he may give you, a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. His prayer for the Ephesian church, and he's just gone through knowing that they know the gospel, they've embraced Christ in the gospel, they have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. In all of that being true, he prays that they would know Christ, that they would know the power of, of what is uh, going on. You know, and so, uh, so we're going to look at two aspects of this knowledge. Um, and the first thing is that they would know him, that it's a revelation of the knowledge of him that the Spirit gives us. Verse 17, you know, this idea of knowing Jesus and, and the idea of closeness. Um, I was actually down in my, uh, I have an office downstairs at our house, and every Sunday morning I get up really early, and our dog has learned not to wake up, okay, when I come down uh, early in the morning, okay? Nobody else is awake. It's dark, so I'm going to stay sleeping. But usually sometime in that span of me sitting downstairs, 
Biscuit, that's our dog's name, okay? Uh, it's a real manly name, so my girls named it. But anyway, uh, so our dog wakes up, right? And, uh, and the first thing he does is he comes to the door, uh, and, um, and he kind of nudges the door open, and all he wants to do is be next to me. That's like his, his waking wish is to be, it's like, really? That's a sad life. But, uh, but that's, he, 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 he wakes up, he comes, he pushes my office door open, and he nuzzles up right next to me. His desire, his waking wish is to know me and to be with me. And so uh, I'm not likening us to dogs and Jesus to, but there is a sense where we are given this revelation, God revealing to us what is it for us to know Jesus, for us to be with him, for us, our waking wish to be close to him. And so so our hope is found in that we would know our king and know our future. And so in knowing our king, in being close to him, in wanting to be with him, there's a sense where we have to know what is already ours. So we already th- we talked about Paul's prayer. He's praying that they would know. Keep going in verse, in verse 18. So uh, he prays that their eyes would be enlightened, that they would have the spirit of wisdom, of knowledge of him, that you may know, and he says that they would know three things. That they would know what? What is the hope to which he has called you? That they would know what are the riches of this glorious inheritance in the saints, in verse 19, that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of the power towards us who believe. So Paul, he's speaking to people who have already embraced the gospel of grace through Jesus. And his prayer is that they would know their hope, their inheritance, and the great power that is at work towards them. A lot of times we pray something different. Sometimes we pray that God's power would come in our midst. What is, by Paul praying that we would know the great power that's at work towards us, what is he saying about the power of God? Is that it is already here. It is already at work. And he's praying not that the power of God would, would descend on us, It's that we would know that God is already at work. We would know the power that's of God that's at work in us, that we would know our hope and that we would know our inheritance. And so the idea of of inheritance and hope, where are those things pointing? Past, present, or future? Future, definitely. Hope, something that is to come. Inheritance, something you don't have now but that you will get later. And so if he's praying that we would know our future, it's not just that we would know Jesus now, but we would know what that means for us down the road. Lloyda just uh, just uh, heard that her mom passed into glory. A 99-year-old woman who faithfully walked and loved Jesus. What is her future? What is her hope? It she is that she is now in the presence of Jesus. She has been given the inheritance that we are all promised. 
And so is that just something we hang on for? All right, that's our hope. That's our inheritance. We're just going to hang on, grip on, grip on tight, and just make it through until we get to glory. No. A rightful understanding of an inheritance ought to change how we live now. A rightful understanding of a real and certain hope, not like a wish. Well, it might happen, but biblical hope, a certainty of what God promises, ought to change what we do now. So if you're in a miserable career, okay, you're in a miserable career, and uh, you're working with a friend who's also in the same career, and you're both just stuck in this misery of things, and, you know, just, you know what, but you can't really pick something else. That was your career choice, and you're kind of stuck, and you're just in misery. But I come up to you, and I say, you know what, you're going to receive $10 million, but you're going to receive it in 20 years. Does that change you being stuck in that miserable career? Does that change how you live? Does that change how you go through life? Of course it does. Because in 20 years, you know that, you know what, this too will pass. Um, I know that there's, there's a certain hope for me, and, and it is glorious and beyond comprehension. The one that has no promise of that is just stuck looking at the very thing in front of them. And so when Jesus promises us a glorious inheritance, the riches of his inheritance, and an immeasurable greatness of his power that's at work, that ought to change what is going on for us now. It's not that we're going to miss out. It's that we can live now in light of what God promises to his people So know what's already there, but also know that the power is at work in us as well. What's the power of God? What's the example of the power of God that Paul draws from? It's not the cross. It's the resurrection. The power of God that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power, the same greatness of power that he is working towards us who believe. And so that is already here. And so to know what, uh, what is already ours, but then there has to be this knowledge of the heart. So go back to verse 18, okay? If you're wondering, maybe, how do I pray for my kids? And how do I pray in their knowledge of Jesus? And let me submit to you verse 18, the first part. So Paul's praying that these people... Uh, would be having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. It's one thing for our kids to be able to recite Bible verses. It's one thing for our kids to play Bible trivia and just smoke us all because they have you know memories like sponges and they just soak everything in. It's one thing for them to know it intellectually. It's another for our kids to know it in their heart. And so Paul is praying not merely that our knowledge, cognitive knowledge, would grow. He is saying and praying that these people, us, we could pray for our children, would be enlightened in the eyes of our hearts. The effect of the Spirit would illumine us that there really is a difference between knowing facts and truly knowing something. The experiential experience of it. And so, uh, you know, you could be thinking, don't they already know this stuff? Don't they know their hope, their inheritance? You could probably spout it off and cite all the Bible verses. But that's not what he's praying. 
He's not praying that you would cognitively know it or merely cognitively know it. It's that the eyes of your heart would be opened, that light would flow in, that, that all of those things would change how you and I see life. Paul prays that they would know. And so uh, when, um, when Tim Keller was commenting on this concept of, uh, of knowledge, uh, he, he, he uh, was thinking about a friend of his who wrote a book called Christian Meditation. Uh, uh, Edwin, or Edmund Clowney was the one who wrote that, a uh, great uh, scholar and, and that. So his friend wrote on Christian meditation. And, and think of our culture right now. Now, this was a sermon from 20 years ago. Christian meditation was from 40 years ago. Uh, but what is the, the hot topic right now in the way that culture is saying that we ought to be thinking and enter into the, the, the mind and all of that? You've heard the term mindfulness a lot lately. You know, kind of the, uh, the idea of, of Buddhist thought and in just to be so cognizant and, and aware of the present well, that kind of stood on and sits on something called transcendental meditation, okay? It's kind of some of the theology uh, behind yoga um, and, uh, and not the exercise and, and stretching of it all, but the mindfulness exercise. And it's basically that you would empty your mind and find stillness. That you would empty your mind of all thought and therefore find and on one hand that sounds pretty good you know I'm going to clear my mind I'm just going to find peace and rest because I'm going to not think about anything but is that biblical peace is that biblical hope is your problem that your mind needs to you know you need to get to this emptiness of mind what is Paul saying Paul says you don't need to empty your mind, you need to fill it. He's praying that they would actually know these things, that they would fill their minds, not empty them, but fill them with the thoughts and the knowledge of who Jesus is, that we would be filled in the heart. And so so there's this thing that we have to know our king and we have to know our future in order to really understand Christmas. And you're saying, wait a second, we haven't talked about Christmas yet. Okay, we're getting there. Okay, uh, And so then we, there's this passage un, uh, unfolds that we have to know that the king reigns. And so when we see these things that, that, that Paul's praying that they would know uh, all of these things that are at work in them, we get to... Verse 20. So he's talking about the great power that's at work um, on their behalf, working with his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Okay? And so not only was Jesus raised from the dead, but where did God the Father, where did he place Jesus? On the throne of all things. So Jesus was elevated. Jesus was raised. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. He is, where, verse 21, far above all rule, all authority, and power, and dominion. Above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one 
to come, that he rules over everything. We see that in verse 22. And he, God the Father, put all things under his feet, under Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church. So if everything is under the feet of Jesus, what does that mean? It means that he has authority over all things, that he reigns and rules over all things, that he is supreme and sovereign over all things. He reigns over everything. He's seated on high. Uh, Everything was put under his feet. And here's the mystery. The mystery is how can the king come as a baby? How can God show up in a manger? How can the almighty God show up in diapers and that be our hope? Do we wonder why the world thinks we're nuts? That makes no sense to the powerful, to the intellectual, to the ones who have made it, to the ones who say, you know what? I have what I have because I did it. Only those who are willing to humble themselves and say, you know what, I'm in desperate need of a king can understand how the almighty God would would come in weakness and that would be our hope. And it's it's in that when we say our king has come uh, that the mystery of Christmas kind of humbles the strong. This baby ushers in the kingdom and he is our king. That's the promise of the gospel, that baby Jesus is our king. And that is foolishness to the world. But yet is the message of the gospel, because the almighty God came in humility. And in that coming in humility, he reverses all that is wrong in this world. And so... uh, um, the song Joy to the World, which we're going to end our, our time with, uh, that was originally not written as a Christmas song. hate to break that to you. Uh, it was not really written that way at all. It was written by Isaac Watts, uh, penned in 1719. It was based on Psalm 19. Now, it makes sense as a Christmas song, you know, shout for, uh, for joy to the Lord for he comes. Uh, you know, let earth receive her king. But let's look back at Psalm 98 why would this be the cry of the heart of people who are longing for a king? Psalm 90, 98 says this, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He's revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. Uh, which is an instrument, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, uh, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. But what's interesting is that he doesn't just talk to people giving praise. He goes on. He says, let 
the, the sea roar and all that fills it, and the world and, and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. There's this great verse in the hymn, uh, joy to the world. And I hope we're doing it. I uh, hope we didn't cut it. Okay, good. Um, and uh, there's this great verse. It's the third verse. You know, when we start looking, everybody knows the first one. We kind of trail out on the second and we hardly know the third. Um, and the third might be the most profound of them all because it talks about him coming to redeem as far as the curse is found. So when, when Adam and Eve fell, how far did the curse on this world stretch? Did it just, just stretch to the hearts of Adam and Eve and their descendants? Was it only the human heart that was now tainted towards God? No, what else showed up? Uh, what, what else showed up was, was difficulty in our labor, uh, that, that now the world was, was uh, cursed as well. And under the curse of the fall, Romans 8 would say that creation groans along with mankind. And so when, uh, when Jesus comes and Jesus comes to redeem, it's not simply to save men and women from their sin. It is also to redeem and restore all things in this world. The hymn writer says, and heaven and nature sing because their king has come. What does that do to our theology? When we say that Jesus rules and reigns over everything, is he only concerned with your heart and my heart? I would say Jesus is concerned with everything. Everything is under his feet. What does that mean when you go to a job tomorrow morning and uh, it is, you know, a, a job that has no connection, obvious connection uh, to the gospel or uh, to anything of, uh, that you find in the scriptures according to uh, maybe the gospel of his grace? What, is, what does the fact that Jesus reigns over everything say to you tomorrow morning when you go to work in what some people would call a secular job. Are you wasting your time? You know what? You're going to get through Monday to Friday, get to Saturday, watch some football, and then come to church on Sunday and be one of God's people? Is that the message of the gospel? Is that the message of the kingdom? Let me submit to you, not even close. The message of the kingdom is that everything comes under the feet of Jesus. Everything is under his authority, including the job that you go to tomorrow. Even if there's no line of sight, you know, what would it be to work as unto the Lord? What would it be to restore this broken world? What would it be to bring some form of justice to what is wrong? What would it look like uh, for you to be an agent of the gospel where you are and that the value of your work doesn't merely come because you get an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. The benefit and the blessing of your work and the value of your work comes to bring part of this world back under the authority of its king. That redemption 
that the message of the gospel is not only for your heart and my heart. It is also for God to redeem all things. So when Jesus comes, what does his ministry look like? He heals diseases. He sets, um, he, he pursues the outcast. He sets things right that, that are wrong. What, if he only cared about the human heart, why do any of those things in the tangible world? Well, because he comes because he rules over all things. He rules over everything. Now, here's the question. Wait a second. Sometimes it certainly feels as if he does not rule. There are times when it feels like evil is winning. It feels like there is no rule and reign of God at all. What does Ephesians 1 point to for us? Ephesians 1 points to this great phrase, which we're going to pick up next week. In, at the end of verse 21, he's seated far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. He sees above every name, but not only those in this age, but also in the age to come. Yes, King Jesus has ushered in his kingdom, but yet it has not come in fullness. The things have begun, yes, but we don't see them completely. There's a sense where God is at work, even in the broken things of this world. I don't know if you looked at your newsletter a couple weeks ago, but um, I, I, got, I got to do a wedding for a, a young couple, and uh, Josh and Alice, and just the mind-blowing nature of the work of God, that he's at work in ways we can't even fathom. We think he's not ruling, yet he is ruling over everything. 25 years ago, in St. Louis, Linda taught fourth grade, okay? In that, she, uh, she had the guy, the guy who I did the wedding for, his older brother was in Linda's fourth grade class in St. Louis 25 years ago. They moved to South Carolina. They, uh, he graduates to USC. They, they hang out here. He's been coming to Grace Point. Uh, and then he and uh, his fiance uh, begin to come. We do premarital counseling. They get married. God is at work in a way that we can't even fathom. Why would they be here? The only reason is because Linda taught his brother 25 years ago in St. Louis. And yet God is drawing them to follow him and know him through that. God is at, Jesus is ruling over all things, and we don't even know it. And why is he doing that? This is what's great, is that he's doing that for the church. Don't miss that phrase, and we'll end on this. Don't miss the phrase uh, in verse 22, that God put all things under his feet, and gave him, gave Jesus as the head over all things to the church. So Jesus reigning all things, reigning over all things, God gives that to his people. That, that is his gift to his people. And so Jesus' reign is for the church. Not only does he reign over all things, he reigns and rules over his people. This is one of those things where this is a hope for the message um, of the gospel in this world. We can often feel very discouraged. 
But Dallas Willard was a, a writer, philosopher, professor, and he wrote often on spiritual formation. And right before, right before he died, right before uh, he went to be with the Lord, he was asked by an interviewer all, all these questions about the church. And then this was the end. After a couple hours, they asked him this question. When you look at how off track the church is, do you ever just throw up your hands in despair? And he said, never. To which, you know, the interviewer was shocked. Didn't expect that. He, well, well, why not, he says. And Willard went on to say, because I know that Christ is the head of the church and he knows what he's doing. Just like Jesus is the head of everything, including his people, and he knows what he is doing. Do we understand it? Absolutely not sometimes. But we can take rest assured that he is the one who is ruling. He has come to rule all things. Let heaven and earth rejoice. Let earth receive her king. Have you surrendered to him as the king of your life? Or are you still on the throne? That's the message and the question of Christmas. Um, Have you surrendered to him? Let's pray. Uh, God, um, I I just pray that you would take your word. I pray in thanks for it. uh, That, uh, God, would you change us? Would you help us to live according to the hope that we profess? God, that we would know your greatness. Know the, uh, the inheritance that we've been given. Father, that there is no question about it. But yet, God, it feels like we just go on living, uh, living as if none of that is true sometimes. Father, I pray in thanks for your grace. I thank you that you are the head over the church, that you are leading us, that you are ruling over all things. God, I pray that you would give us insight into that, help us to trust you in that. God, I pray that we would not lose heart. Uh, Father, help us to know the amazing truth of the gospel this Christmas. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.